Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Murder Chronicles. I'm your host, Carolyn Osorio. You're listening to episode 53, part two of The Clown. Can you tell me about the relationship between Michael and Marley? Well, he didn't treat her as good. Uh, she should treat a wife, but it that way. Okay. In other words, that uh, she, uh, she was a good woman. Okay. And uh, she, uh, she always tried to do right. She a uh, hard worker. Throughout this episode, you'll hear police interviews with witnesses in the murder investigation of Marlene Warren. Last week, on part one of The Clown, Marlene Warren had been brutally shot on the front doorstep of her home. She'd been reaching out for balloons and a basket of flowers from a clown. The young woman you'll hear from now, Jean, was there. She had just finished up eating breakfast when an unannounced clown showed up on the doorstep. Just finished cooking breakfast for everybody. Sat down to get ready to eat. Somebody pulled up in a white car. He had a clown suit on. He had flowers and a bunch of balloons. He had a clown suit on. Mm-hmm. He was real tall, over six foot tall. You know, fully gloves, boots. I couldn't tell if he was white or black. I saw his face. We heard a pop twice. We thought she fainted, but she wasn't. So we went for the window to go look at it. There was a bullet that came down the side of her head. She would describe the clown to the police as tall, well over six foot, that it was a male. And according to her, the only thing visible beneath the makeup were his beady brown eyes. A neighbor had heard shots. I've never met these people before because we just recently moved in here. And while I was in the garage, I heard uh, two reports, like pistol shots, probably high caliber. And I had my camper generator running. I thought I might have had a backfire on it. Uh, I ran out uh, to check, and it was okay. And when I was out, I looked uh, south, I guess a quarter of a mile across the field, and saw the gray house uh, on the other street. And a young man was standing in the uh, uh, front door hollering, and I saw the, just the back side of a, a white, uh, appeared to be a convertible, the black top. Uh, well, it had to be a long distance away. I didn't, uh, that's, I could just barely make it out. I came back in the house and told my wife that I thought I heard pistol shots and something might have happened across the field. I ran out and Bob Brewster's my neighbor, was mowing in his mower. I stopped him and I told him, you know, I heard this and his children had heard it also. So we kind of semi ran and walked uh, across the field and as we, cut behind the house, uh, Bill was coming out of his patio, and, and I imagine it's 100 yards or so behind the victim's house. And I said, did you hear anything? He said, I thought I heard a couple of pistol shots. And I said, well, let's be real careful and, and uh, you know, get out, get away from the house and yell if they would help anybody if there's a problem in there, because I didn't want to walk in on somebody right. get shot. This neighbor just happened to be a doctor, and he rushed to the home and offered to help. So I yelled in and I heard somebody crying and I said, I'm a physician, can I help you? And they said, oh yes, please help us. And so we came through the door, showed me their mother lying on the floor with her back, her face facing up and the doorway was open and there were some flowers next to her and balloons were towards her head, more into the kind of a dining room area. Uh, Her mouth was bloody at that time. There wasn't a large amount of blood on the floor, 
she was having some agonal respiration, just hardly anything. So uh, I quickly assessed her, and uh, I didn't feel a pulse in the carotid at that time. I rolled her over, cleaned her mouth out. Uh, I couldn't find the wound, so I put my hand in her mouth, and I had a large spoon to depress her tongue to establish a uh, airway. Uh, and there was a jumble of teeth in there, and so I assumed then she had been probably shot in the mouth, and this was confirmed when the paramedics got there and intubated her. And uh, by the way, they were there very quickly. I would say within five minutes, they really responded well and did an excellent job when they got there. And at that point, I relieved myself of the situation and let them take over. As Marlene was fighting for her life in the hospital, shot in the face by a clown, detectives went about interviewing friends and family and co-workers, and it wasn't long before rumors began to fly that Marlene's husband, Mike, had engaged in numerous affairs, but that there was one woman in particular named Sheila who repoed cars for him. Both Mike and Sheila were interviewed and denied having the affair. Two days after Marlene was shot, she would die from her injuries. Here's Marlene's sister, who would be interviewed by police after Marlene's funeral. Friday night, right? The day before the thing? It was Thursday or Friday, I can't remember. Okay. She said she was gonna, or she did confront him, and she told him she wasn't putting up with any more of his stuff. She said she confronted him? Right. When did she say she did that? That day or? Uh, probably the night before. According to Deborah, Marlene's sister, she was afraid of her husband, Michael. She called me and she um, said that he beat her up and she threatened to leave him and he threatened her that he'd kill her. When was this? Probably a year ago, September, I believe. And from then on, she always told me if anything happens to me, that Michael did it. Marlene mentioned any specific girlfriends, any names, while she was talking? Well, she always knew he went out on her. Mm -hmm. But she always hoped and hid it, you know, didn't want to admit to it. The only one she ever said was she left to me. Okay, and this was... That was Friday night. She said Sheila was a girlfriend? That he was having an affair with her. In last week's episode, Sheila Keene would deny having an affair with Michael, even though many witnesses would say otherwise. And Michael denied it too. When confronted with the fact that eyewitnesses had picked her out of a photo montage for not only buying a costume, but buying the flowers and balloons the day of the shooting, Sheila denied both. She also said that she didn't have a gun even though multiple witnesses had said that they'd seen her with one or one was in her truck. I was going to ask you about your gun. About my what? Your gun. I don't have a gun. I don't have a gun. You never had a gun? Well, when I lived with my husband, it, it, when we moved, it disappeared. What kind of gun was that? A 38 Special. You don't carry a gun in your repo truck? No, uh-uh, you can't. Well, you can, but... They all do. <laughs> right, but it makes your insurance go sky high. Oh, right. Yeah, and I guess if you tell them that... Do you have a permit for a gun anyway? No, I've got, I went and took a course, you know, for consulate, but I never did get a permit. During this interview, four days after Marlene's shooting, the detectives apply a lot of pressure on Sheila. Well, Sheila, like I indicated to you before, there's some things that trouble us a lot. One thing is... The store where those flowers and balloons were bought is right around the corner from your house. Right. Two ladies that saw the lady who bought those flowers mm-hmm. and those balloons 
Saturday morning, 20 after 9, approximately. Mm -hmm. And they describe you. It wasn't me. Okay. I was down checking that car. And then we know where the costume was bought. And we know when it was bought. It was bought Thursday afternoon. And two clerks were at the store when the costume was purchased mm -hmm. by a lady who's described like you. It's not me. And, as you already know, many sources have told us of your relationship with Michael and that it's much more so than what you and Michael are telling us. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to establish that, that Michael is frequently at your house and sometimes overnight. No, he was never there overnight. Never. Sure. Positive. Never. Nobody never spent the night at my house. Wherever that comes they from. Got the, they got the impression, at least. That no, never. But all that coupled together, you know, brings us to a point where we've got to, to basically right. look at, to you and, and say, what's going on here? How come everything is pointing in Sheila's right. direction? You know what I mean? Right. And uh, your hair and your physical description, the guy, or, or the, uh, the lady who guy or lady, whoever it was that was mm -hmm. in that clown outfit had big brown eyes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you had big brown eyes. Um, not that you're not the only one with big brown eyes. Right. Towards the end of the interview, the investigators revealed something that they'd been holding very close to their vests, that they had just found the clown's getaway car, that white Chrysler LeBaron. We got the car. I wasn't in it. You got hair out of the car. I wasn't in the car. You know what, how... What type of hair it is? Besides the clown hair that's also in the car? No. Long brown hair. Ladies hair. Not my hair. Just like yours. There's a lot of people that's got hair just like mine. That might be. I'm not saying that there isn't. Right. But when you take everything and then add that to it, we just got the car today. Mm-hmm. So you add that to everything else, the whole picture, mm -hmm. all of the evidence, all of the statements that have been given to us by everybody that knows you, and that knows Michael, mm -hmm. and that knows Marlene, it all comes back to you and Mike. At the end of the day, they had nothing physically connecting Sheila to the murder of Marlene Warren, other than very compelling circumstantial evidence. But Sheila ended the interview when she wouldn't commit to taking a polygraph or giving a sample of her hair. That's when she requested to speak to an attorney. The getaway car had been found in a parking spot at a shopping center. Forensic experts would scour the white Chrysler LeBaron. During Sheila's interview with detectives, they had intimated that they had found fingerprints in the car, potentially Sheila's fingerprints. But in reality, that was just a bluff. The car had been wiped clean. The only forensic evidence that they did find were reddish-orange fibers that were consistent with a clown wig, the fibers were determined to be synthetic, but they couldn't say with 100% certainty if they were from a clown wig. They also did find two strands of what appeared to be long brown hair in the car, but this was well before advanced DNA testing. And to Sheila's point, she wasn't the only one that had long brown hair, which meant Sheila was cut loose. They didn't have enough to charge her with the murder of Marlene Warren. However, investigators did have a bone to run down. After they ran the car plates and found out that that white Chrysler LeBaron had been reported stolen by a company called Payless. It was a used car lot, and the car had been stolen roughly two weeks before the shooting. And when investigators spoke with Payless, they got an earful about Michael Warren. Apparently, there was some bad blood between Payless and Michael's Bargain Motors, 
The feud had begun after Michael had taken out an ad in the Yellow Pages. Back in the day, the Yellow Pages were a place where businesses advertised. The size and position of ad space was critical. Because if you were looking to rent a car, and you picked up a Yellow Pages, flipped to rental cars, and then selected a business, which you then called the number or went to the address to make your reservation. So Mike had taken out this ad for Bargain Motors, and in the center of the ad, in bright yellow bold print, was the word Payless. The ad confused a lot of Payless customers, who would call Bargain Motors, believing they were speaking to Payless. Payless had been so furious about what they believed was an obvious poaching of their business, so they filed a lawsuit against Michael and Bargain Motors. Della, Michael's former bookkeeper, explains. Were any calls ever received there when you were there for Payless Fargo? Okay, that's, yes. A lot of people would call us thinking, we would say, I would, especially if I answered the phone, they would say, is this Payless? I used to say, yeah, Payless at Fargo. And then the next question would be, well, are you on Congress Avenue? No, we're at 1501, we'll fix it. The way the ad is in the yellow pages is really... A lot of people used to get it mixed up, mm-hmm. okay? The boys, Ron and Don, they're clowns, you know, they're jokers. They would say, yeah, this is Payless, you know, uh, especially if they were calling for a quote. You know, you don't want to lose a customer, mm-hmm. you know. Michael's distant younger cousins, Ron and Don, worked the phones at Bargain, and apparently it was alleged that Don had answered the phone the night that the car had been stolen at around six-ish. So a couple had rented a car from Payless, and had called Bargain by mistake. This couple had rented a white Chrysler LeBaron, and they were in a hurry to return the car back to Payless because they had a flight to catch. So when they looked in the yellow pages to call Payless about how to return the vehicle, they inadvertently contacted Bargain, thinking they were speaking to a Payless employee, when it was really someone from Bargain Motors who had given them the address there and told them to leave the car outside the gates with the keys tucked into the car's visor and that they should just walk away. The couple were kind of feeling sketchy about it, but they also had a plane to catch, so that's exactly what they did. As the police were investigating the getaway car, and they tracked it back to Payless and then Bargain Motors, the police believed that that white LeBaron had been driven away by a Bargain Motors employee, and then it was like it disappeared. But after the LeBaron was taken into custody, and they were able to speak to the couple, they began to put together a case against one of Michael's employees in connection to the theft. And Michael had allegedly been implicated in the theft of the LeBaron as well. But there was no physical evidence linking Mike to the LeBaron as it related to the vehicle being the getaway car of the clown, even though many people had their opinions, including this former employee. How about that white LeBaron that we were that may be involved in this? This clown or whoever it was dressed in a clown suit was seen leaving the area in a white LeBaron. I can only tell you what I think. Okay. I have no facts on this. I think that people called bargain by mistake, just like they said they did. Mm-hmm. I was working for Mike from Payless City. Yeah. I think that Don got the call. I think that possibly Mike and Don, or Mike, Ron and Don, went and got the car, took it to Cambridge, kept the car there until they needed it. I think she let possibly started putting some pressure on Mike. What do you mean by putting pressure on Getting rid of Marlene and divorcing Marlene or something. And I just don't think Mike could have divorced Marlene because Mike had told me. But that's the thing. There was no evidence to support this opinion or to explain the circumstances behind how that white LeBaron had been driven away from the outside gates of Bargain Motors, where the couple had left it, and how the clown ultimately got their hands on it as their getaway car. 
So there's no doubt in our mind about that light, white LeBaron being stolen by people from Oregon voters. We know mm -hmm. that already. So that's not that we're not that's not what we're interested in. Okay. Yeah. What we want to know is how that car ended up in the hands, if it is indeed the car, it just happens to fit the description. But if indeed it is the car, how did it end up in the hands of the murderer? So we want to know where the car was. I can't help you. I don't know. I wish I did. The people who did steal the car are going to be arrested. It's just we're taking our time on doing it right now. The LeBaron theft brought even more heat onto Michael's business. It was a tie to the murder. It was also clear that Michael had a lot of cash all the time, that he lived in a posh neighborhood, but there was a duality to him. He was rough around the edges, and the car lot wasn't selling high-end vehicles to rich folks. His lot attracted people who didn't have a lot of money and who were desperate. People who would come to trust Michael. He had the ability to make a person feel comfortable. He was charismatic, but at the end of the day, he was a used car salesman, the consummate smooth talker. And there were rumors that there was illegal activity going on behind the scenes at Bargain, that everything wasn't on the up and up. Remember, the Warren family lived in the Arrow Club neighborhood, where their backyard connected to an airstrip. At some point, it was alleged that Mike's plane had been stolen and then showed up somewhere and the engine had been destroyed. And there was another story that one of Mike's racehorses had been found dead. There were rumors that Mike was in the drug trade, that he tampered with the odometers on his car lot, and other gossip. Here's a former employee. Did you ever know Mike to be involved in any kind of uh, drug smuggling or anything like that? I saying? mean, I have my suspicions. He did have a plane at one time. Does he still have a plane? He's got a lot of money. Uh, from what I understand, no. He had an engine fire a while back, and... Uh, I assume he sold it. I was told that he didn't have his plan anymore. What was the motivation for murdering Marlene? Trying to pin that down was like battling the mythical Hydra. When one head was cut off, two more heads would emerge in its place. Could Michael's alleged criminal activity at Bargain gotten Marlene killed? Was the murderer a disgruntled tenant exacting revenge for a grudge? Or was it closer to home? Shooting someone point-blank in the face is a very personal crime. Was Marlene murdered by a jealous rival? And you became aware later that the, some of the businesses were in Marlene's name. Exactly. I became aware of that. I wasn't even aware of it until I read it in the paper. I thought it was all in Mike's name. What about relationships with other women? What do you know about his relationship? A bunch of them. A bunch of other women? Oh, yeah. Do you remember recalling their names? Well, he, Sheila Keeney had a real heavy relationship with him. Uh, did you visually see that yourself? Oh, yes. There was no yep. question about that? Oh, there's no question about that. They didn't even try to hide it. The fact is, when she broke up with Richard, I understand Mike was putting all of her bills. There was a lot of circumstantial evidence pointing to Sheila, especially when detectives found out that Michael wasn't just allegedly having an affair with Sheila, but that he was paying some of her bills, which was a surprise to even his bookkeeper. Were you aware that, that Mike was giving her cash to pay her rent with? No. Did you have known that? No. According to police, Michael wasn't just paying for Sheila's apartment, but he was seen there so much by Sheila's neighbors that they thought he was her husband. Well, what's, what was your impression of Sheila? Sheila, when you meet her, you think of her as a little country girl from Okeechobee just trying to make it in a big city. Yeah. She's very wise. Very, very wise, very slick, very sharp. Richard is more or less, my opinion, he's a patsy. 
If I was to guess, I would think she had pulled the trigger. You think that she would be able to? Sure. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. Think she was that tough? She's tough. She doesn't get it. You won't see it. Because she gives you the impression of just a little country girl, you know, in her tight blue jeans and long hair and cowboy boots. You know, I'm just trying to get ahead. No, I know Sheila. I've been to dinner with them too. She's very cold. You ever seen Sheila carrying a gun? Oh, yeah. As word spread far and wide about the killer clown, people started coming out of the woodwork with information about Michael and his businesses and Sheila. How a couple of years before Marlene's murder, Sheila had come into an auto parts store dressed as a clown. We didn't even make the connection until this morning the article came out in the paper. And then um, we read the article, didn't even think any more about it. And then it, but the, the counter guy and I were standing here and it just clicked that she had come in one time in a clown costume. Hmm. We thought that was just kind of weird. Who else remembers that? Uh, my, one of my other countermen here in the store. They couldn't remember why she came in dressed as a clown, only that they were absolutely sure that she did. The only thing we can state for a fact is we know she came in the store wearing one. I couldn't describe it to you, and I couldn't tell you exactly when it was, but we know it was her, and we know it was a, you know, a clown, you know, because, like I say, when, when they had the used car lot down here, she was in the store three and four times a day all week long. She was a regular fixture in the store. And we and she was the kind of person you you know you would joke with and tease a little bit. So when we do that with our customers, so we remembered razzing her about being in a clown outfit. Both of the employees were upset as they recalled Sheila's clown stunt to the investigator. Or what the deal was, but she did pop in one day with a clown suit, and I couldn't tell you to say my neck what it looked like, but I'm sure it was. Right, a couple years ago. Yeah, at least that long. Yes, sir. Was it like a, do you remember if it was like a whole clown suit or just like a face, like a mask? That was a whole deal. It was a whole deal with a whole uniform thing on it, whatever, old baggy pants or whatever it was, but I couldn't tell you the color of it. Or, uh-huh. I don't even remember if she had a red nose on her and all that or what the story was, <laughs> okay. too, but I do remember it, and it hit me real hard this morning, too. Okay. This thing has bugged me all day today, and I still can't tell you what the occasion was or why or anything about the doggone thing, but I do remember she coming in with a clown suit on one time. Which I thought was unusual, because we all had a big laugh out of it, you know. And back in those days, what the heck, it's just one of those deals. Yeah. I just thought, you know, it might have some bearing somewhere down the line, because that's a very serious deal over what I'm telling you about now. In June of 1990, police would serve a search warrant at Sheila's apartment. But ultimately, they didn't find anything to connect her to the case. But something would come out of the surveillance team that had been watching Bargain Motors. Here's a former employee. What other types of unethical or illegal activities? Well, a lot in, in the rentals as far as price jacking and making reservations for people coming south without credit cards. Both the price and then when you got there, of course, since you were from out of state and uh, no credit card, the deposit would be more than the insurance rates would be astronomical, anywhere from $60 a day. I've seen it over $100 a day because you were under 25, no credit card. You have to carry our insurance. Of course, once you're here, you've come down for a spring break or whatever. That's the only place you can rent a car. So he basically ripped people off. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Same thing as car sales, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of the repossessions were illegal as far as calling people and actually threatening them physically. You ever see rollback odometers on the cars you sold? Oh, yes, sure. So they did it for rentals and the cars? Rentals and the sales. Did you know of Mike's involvement in stealing cars other than that? I know he did a lot of repossessing that was illegal. What happened to the cars after they were 
possessed, I don't know. This former employee also weighed in on what he believed were Mike's true feelings toward his wife, Marlene. Things you observed we talked about before um, with Mike Warren and uh, his relationship with his wife. What did you know about that relationship? It was a real bad relationship. How did Mike feel about Marlene? He hated her. There's no doubt in my mind. Did he, he hate her? Like, sure. Several times. And what kind of conversation did he make with you as far as his wife was concerned? How did he, how did he tell you that? That he wished he'd get rid of the bitch, wished he'd never married the lady, uh, sick and fed up with her shit. She was interfering in his life. Did he ever make any direct accusations, direct statements, or make reference to, or, or any innuendos that he wanted to get rid of her? Oh, sure. Sure. Not, he never made a statement that he would kill her. But I asked Mike one time, you know, why don't you just divorce the lady, you know, if you're that miserable? Because my looking at it was, here's a man who's got, I mean, He's got all kinds of money. I mean, he walks around with more money in his pocket than I make a year, you know, with spending money. Uh, he spends $100,000 for racehorses. He's got his own twin-engine plane sitting at his home, and the man is miserable. I mean, I'm talking about really miserable. What did he say as far as um, the divorce thing with Marlene? He couldn't divorce her because he couldn't afford to give her half of what he, he had. So it was a money thing? It was a money thing, strictly money. Everything for Mike is money. Everything. Five months after Marlene's murder, a search warrant would be executed at Michael Warren's used car lot. He would be charged with odometer tampering, racketeering, insurance fraud, operating a chop shop, and grand theft. He would stand trial for those charges. Ultimately, the jury would find Michael guilty of 43 counts, which included odometer tampering and fraud. He would be sentenced to nine years in prison. The investigation into Marlene's murder would continue. Detectives continued running down leads from people who would call in with information. The truth is, because of the circumstances of the case, where a clown walks up to someone's front door, offers up balloons and flowers, and then shoots them in the face and confidently walks off, essentially getting away with murder. It was so outrageous. People just didn't forget. But as far as anyone being charged with her murder, there was a lot of speculation rumor and circumstantial evidence that Sheila had murdered Marlene, who was her romantic rival, an obstacle standing in the way of her man and all that money. But remember, everyone who had seen the clown that morning described him as being tall and a man. There were also tips that Michael had hired a hitman to murder Marlene. But those never panned out, and neither did the rumor that Richard, Sheila's estranged husband, had murdered her either because he was jealous of the alleged affair that, that Sheila was having with Michael, and so that he murdered Marlene for revenge, or that Michael had just hired him to murder his wife because they had been good friends. The disgruntled tenant exacting revenge on Marlene for being evicted, that never panned out either, or that Marlene had been murdered because of Michael's shady business dealings. Nothing solidified enough for an arrest warrant for Marlene's murder. And with hundreds of murders in South Florida in 1990, the investigation into the murder of Marlene Warren went cold, but not forgotten. And the years rolled on. By 1997, Michael Warren was out of prison and putting his life back together. He moved to Tennessee, owned a fast food restaurant called The Purple Cow, which he was running with his girlfriend, Debbie. Again, Michael is known for his hard work ethic, and he and Debbie often work six days a week, and business is booming. The couple lived in a beautiful home on a lake in the Blue Ridge Mountains. In 2013, 23 years after Marlene's murder, there would be movement in the investigation. 
The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office would receive a federal grant to perform some advanced DNA testing in Marlene's case. Remember those two strands of what appeared to be long brown human hair? Well, one of those hairs had a portion of the root still attached. In 1990, that didn't mean anything. But in 2013, that could spell DNA. But the wheels of justice and forensic testing turn slowly. And by 2017, a Florida reporter began looking into the killer clown case. Or more specifically, Michael Warren. The journalists started talking to neighbors of Michael Warren, and that's when one of them mentioned Debbie. The reporter was like, who's Debbie? It was Mike's girlfriend. Some digging into Michael's girlfriend would reveal that Debbie was actually an alias for Sheila Keene. And Sheila had gotten married to Michael Warren in Las Vegas 12 years after Marlene's murder. Now, earlier in the podcast, Michael's distant younger cousins had been mentioned, Ron and Don. They were twins who had worked for Michael. It had been alleged that Don was the one who had taken the call that night when that couple had called bargain, thinking that they were speaking with Payless and wanted to know where they could drop off their rental, the White LeBaron. Here's Ron being re-interviewed by investigators in 2017. You all got arrested for the whatever. Yeah, the... Whatever, the a bunch the, of charges. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And then Michael went to prison. Right. And Bargain Motors didn't yeah. exist anymore. Right, right. right. I went to Keelan Race Corps in Lexington, Kentucky last fall, driving up, uh, driving through North Carolina. I decide I'm going to, you know, I, I look on the on my phone and I get the name of the restaurant, I mean, you know, Purple Worm or Purple, purple Cow. Purple Cow, yeah. And so I dial it up and a lady picks up the phone. I'm going to see if Mike Warren's there, you know, just say hello, you know. I said, she says, this is whatever what Purple Cow is called. I said, who, is this Sheila? And I'd be damned if she didn't say, yeah. She, she said, who's this? I said, this is Ronald Mike Warren there. Yeah, let me get him. And about five seconds went by, she says, he's on the fryer or the, or the grill. He can't talk right now. He'll call you back. Never had any com- never had a conversation ever again. Ever again. No, that's the first time I've talked to Sheila Keene since Marlene was killed. And I never did talk to Mike. She said Mike would call me back. He was on the grill, grilling, or on the fryer or whatever. Never called me back. In September of 2017, an arrest warrant was at long last issued for the person who was believed to be the killer clown. That long brown hair that had been submitted to the FBI's crime lab that had been collected from the Chrysler LeBaron so many years ago belonged to Sheila Keen Warren. Michael and Sheila had been driving home when they were pulled over. Deputies would explain that they had an arrest warrant for Sheila Keen for the first-degree murder of Marlene Warren. Michael Warren, on the other hand, was free to go. After Sheila was taken into custody, she was put in a room, and not long after, a cold case detective from Florida would introduce herself. Go by uh, Sheila or Debbie. Both, okay. Um, is, is, did you ever get your name legally changed? Debbie, no, you just go by both. Okay. Is Debbie your middle name? Or? Oh, nickname. Okay. Are you currently living in a place in Virginia here? No, do you live in, in Tennessee? In Tennessee. Okay. And you just have two places? Mm-hmm. That place is beautiful over here. It's a beautiful place. And then you guys own a restaurant together still, or did you sell that? I mean, I don't know. I don't really, I mean, these questions you're asking me. I'm just trying to get a, a background. Yeah. That's all. I'm just trying to get a background of what's been kind of going on in your life um, and what's kind of, what's been going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I really don't want to talk to you. Okay. Do you want to know what you're charged with? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're charged with the first degree murder, okay, of Marlene Warren. So, 
I traveled up here to A, have you charged, obviously, with, with the, the first degree murder after the indictment, but also to give you an opportunity to try and explain some things away or to um, explain exactly more detailed what happened that day. I, mean, I know you had went to look in that some cars that day to repo. I mean, you, you really didn't have an airtight, according to the reports that I read, an airtight alibi, whereas Michael had an airtight alibi. So I was trying to wanted to just answer, see if you'd answer some questions that really weren't ever answered back then. Because you know right now, Michael is, Michael's free. Michael's not arrested. He hasn't been charged, and he's not going to be indicted for the murder. But you are the one who is left here to hold, to I be in trouble. You know, to- I didn't do it, so that's the end of the story. I'm not talking to you. Sheila would waste little time in letting her know that she wanted a lawyer, that there was no way that she was talking to her. Sheila would be extradited back to Florida, where she would be facing the death penalty. She pled not guilty. In 2018, while Sheila was awaiting trial, Don, Mike's cousin, was offered a proffer agreement if he explained everything truthfully about what had happened with the Chrysler LeBaron, he would be granted immunity from prosecution, so long as he didn't have anything to do with Marlene Warren's murder. Don explains how the phone call came in regarding the return of the Chrysler LeBaron. I just leave it outside our gate. We'll take care of it. We'll park it inside. They drove up probably about 25 minutes later. They had a cab or, you know, a airport transportation behind them. They left the car. They were a little hesitant on the phone. Should I leave? Where should I leave the keys? I just told them to leave it above the visor. They left the car. I I guess they flew back home and the car was parked. A Chrysler, white Chrysler Baron was parked outside the car company, car rental business. Um, And so who took the... What time, Robin, what time did you receive the phone call from them? Uh, it was probably about, we were getting ready to shut down. It was probably about 6.30, so I, I took the call. And about, probably about 7, 7.15, they dropped the car off. So they drop off the car. And so what happens to the car once it's dropped off? Well, obviously, we were going to just bang it up a little bit, you know, damage it up a little bit just to kind of, you know, get back at Payless for the lawsuit. So that was the intent, was to just bang up the Yeah, we were just going to... Maybe bust out the window, slant the tires, and leave it down to River Beach. Mm-hmm. And to do it enough by itself by leaving it there with the keys in it. Right. You know the area. Right. So that, that was the intention. Did Mike Warren know that, that the receiver was a call? Did you tell him? Hey, yes. Did, yeah, I did. Can you tell me about that? Well, you, know, you, know, you know Mike Warren. You know, you guys interviewed him. I, you know, I said, these people are going to drop the rental car here from Payless. And I'm like, all right, great. Okay. <laughs> you know? Did he tell you what to tell them at all? No. Okay. No, no. So you already knew what to tell them? Right. Okay. Right. Um, so they dropped off the car, and who went Who went to move the car? Did the car stay there? What happened? No, no, no. The car was outside the gate. Like I said, we're getting ready to leave at about 7, 7, 7.30. It might have even been 8 o'clock. Who knows? Um, Mike and Sheila get in a Chrysler Baron. I jump in a rental car. We go eat. But Don was adamant that he didn't know anything about how the car got into the hands of the murderer and that he had nothing to do with Marlene's murder. When you were sitting discussing the went after this uh, LeBaron was stolen and you guys were at dinner. Was there any ever discussion that the LeBaron was going to be used uh, for Sheila to after the murder or anything like that? Absolutely not. So did you ever see the LeBaron again after that night? The last time I seen the LeBaron was about three to four days after the incident happened. It was parked in a Winn-Dixie 
every news station in a, in a county had it on the news. Okay, so that's the that's yep, next that, time you saw yeah, it? Yeah, it's the next time I seen the car. So you saw it the night that it got stolen and then on the news? The that's correct. That's correct. Okay. Did you ever ask Mike Warren or Sheila Keene about that car? Yes, I did, man. That scared the shit on me because I knew it was the car we stole. You know, I stole, right. I use that word. But yeah. I, so what did they, who did you ask him? Mike Warren, he says, no idea. If she did it, she did it. I, I don't know nothing about it. You know, I, I said, Mike, it sure looks like, uh, it sure looks like I took the car, it's parked in Royal Palm. I mean, it looks like we're guilty as could be. You know, obviously you guys open the trunk up, what you find in the trunk. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, the, I mean, your stomach does those turtles. You know, when you, you know, I know that's the car. It's in Royal Did Palm. Did he admit that that was the car that you guys had stolen when you talked to him? He said it looked just like, it looked like the car we took. Okay. He I, never came out and said, Boy, that's the Chrysler Baron. It was outside our gate, you know. How did you How did you know? You said, I mean, you're you're sitting here, pretty certain that that was the car. Oh, without a doubt. How do you know? Well, I, I took it. I know it. I know Sheila. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> did you ride in the car? Never. Never. Okay. Never. So the only people that you saw inside the car was Mark Warren and Sheila Keith. Yeah. Even though Sheila's hair, those two long brown strands, which were found in the white Chrysler LeBaron, which was believed to be the clown's getaway car was a physical link to the case. And yet, the case against Sheila was still almost entirely circumstantial. There was no eyewitness testimony putting her at the murder scene. Remember, the people who'd been there thought that it was a man, and no murder weapon had ever been found. The prosecution did have the two employees at the costume shop who picked out Sheila from a photo lineup as the person they believed bought the clown costume. And there were the employees at the grocery store who say they recognized her as the customer who had bought the balloons and the flower basket on the day of the shooting. But Sheila had engaged a high-powered attorney who would say that the two hairs that had been found inside the getaway car didn't prove that she was the killer, which is all to say that the prosecution's case wasn't a slam dunk. In fact, Sheila Keene Warren would sit in jail for more than five years in solitary confinement as she awaited her trial. Then... Just 12 days before this trial was set to begin, the defense team would receive word that a file that her attorney had been requesting for three years entitled Clown Sightings had been found. The judge in the case was livid. He would give the defense 60 more days to investigate the Clown Sightings file. It had been so long and the defense was having a tough time tracking down these other clowns that had been supposedly sighted the day of the shooting. The defense would also file motions to suppress the prosecution's evidence, including a fiber that had been found buried inside the ribbon that was connected to the balloon. According to the prosecution, the fiber was consistent with the fiber found in Sheila's apartment. But the defense had a lot of issues with the packaging of the evidence, that it wasn't tightly sealed and that it was potentially contaminated. On April 25th, 2023, just a few weeks before the trial was set to begin, an announcement was made that a plea agreement had been offered by the prosecution and accepted by Sheila Keene Warren. The deal was this. If she pled guilty for the second-degree murder of Marlene Warren, she'd be sentenced to 12 years. But because she'd been in jail since 2017, that meant she'd be out in just 16 to 18 months. The prosecution had arrived at this number based on sentencing guidelines back in 1990, the punishment for second-degree murder back in 1990 was 12 to 17 years. Sheila Keen Warren took the deal, but she still proclaims her innocence. And Michael Warren? He continues to proclaim that he had nothing to do with his former wife's murder, and neither did his wife, Sheila. 
The Murder Chronicles is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We are produced by Brandon Morgan and myself, music by Soundstripe. For Pie in the Sky Media, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.